guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Christmas is right around the corner. (laughs) It is. It is. Just, you know, like a calendar works. We're almost there. My kids are doing a countdown. Are yours on a countdown schedule at your house? No, we're not counting down to Christmas this year. (laughs) That's good. That's less stress because my son wakes up every day just yelling. Typically, he yells the previous day's number. And whenever I tell him, he gets like super jazzed up that it's less time. So it's more him. My daughter's like knows it's coming. So I think we're at that age where it's kind of less magical, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Well, I was kind of going to say the same thing that I don't know. My kids just don't really, they really aren't like hyped up about Christmas. I mean, I guess I haven't really done anything to actually hype them up myself, but maybe I'll start this week. (laughs) You got to be their hype man. I'm not, but somebody needs to be the hype man for Christmas. I get it. Yeah, life is just so busy. I don't even know. I, I can't even believe we're in December already. So my kids maybe even haven't noticed what month it is. I don't I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> so before we get into this week's episode, we have a really fun little announcement to make on the show this week. Melissa and I are going to be at CrimeCon again in 2020. Yay. Super duper excited about that. We had such a great time last year, and it's a little more special to us this year because it is right here in Orlando. So that kind of worked out really nicely that it was right here at home. Melissa and I have already said we're going to still get hotel rooms and ditch our families for the weekend. We'll be hanging out anyway the entire time. But Melissa, do you happen to know the details about the CrimeCon location and stuff other than Orlando? May 1st through 3rd. And our code, if you want to use our code, it's M&M2020. So you can say mom to murder or Melissa and Mandy, M&M 2020, and that gets you 10% off your standard badge. Yeah. And it's spelled out M-A-N-D-M, not like a right. little symbol. I don't think people use symbols and codes, but you never know. What is I, that some, word anyway? Is it sampersand? There's some kind of weird an word for it. Yeah. What did I call it? And what did you say it actually I is? Thought, I thought <laughs> I thought she said sampersand with like an I'm, S. I, I did. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, it's an ampersand with an A, and that's like the and sign. So anyway, it's not that, though. We've said it now so many times, people are probably so confused. So anyway, yes, it's M-A-N-D-M 2020 if you want to get 10% off your standard badge and come see us at CrimeCon here in Orlando, May 1st through 3rd. There we go. I think we've nailed it. Yeah, so we're going to get right into the story this week. But first, forget everything you've previously heard on Moms and Murder. As Stefan from SNL would say, this story has everything. A disgruntled Harvard graduate, a pipe bomb, and even a secret neighborhood pizza party. And just when you think the fun is over, knock, knock, who's there? It's a lady punching you in the face over a booster seat. (laughs) The story really does have everything. And the more that we read about the story truly the more bizarre that it became. So join us this week as we discuss the strange world of Dr. Amy Bishop, who was a Harvard graduate, a mad scientist, and a mother of four. Amy was born on April 24th, 1965 in Braintree, Massachusetts, and was the oldest of two children. And before we get into Amy's life and what has happened in this story, we're going to tell you a little about Braintree, Massachusetts, in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Braintree, Massachusetts has a population of 35,000 residents as of the 2010 census, and it's located around 12 miles to the south of Boston. 
The co-founder of the telephone, Thomas Augustus Watson, which by the way, did you know there was a co-founder of the telephone? I felt really no. dumb just reading that. Yeah, I thought <laughs> no, it was just not. Alexander Graham Bell, and that was it. Turns out there was another guy who we do not respect enough named Thomas Augustus Watson, and he retired to Braintree and was a big part of the education system there. President John Adams and his son, President John Quincy Adams, were both born in Braintree, Massachusetts. But thanks to some rezoning later, technically they were born in what is now known as Quincy, Massachusetts. But you know what they say, the Google the city facts giveth and the Google the city facts taketh away. That's all I really have. <laughs> it was a stretch. And lastly, Braintree is a pretty interesting name, I thought. So it caused me to do some additional Googling and I wanted to know how it really got its name. So it's actually a really interesting story if you believe it. It's named after the town of Braintree, Essex in England, and it said that there was a tree in the town that would answer philosophical questions and even your future, but only if you would refer to it as Lord Braintree, King of the Forest. <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I needed something from you there because that's not true, but it's more interesting than the actual. <laughs> than the I was actual. like, what? <laughs> I was really excited when I wrote out the words, Lord Braintree, King of the Forest. <laughs> so, of course, that's not true, but it's more interesting than what I found, which was that it could have been possibly named after someone named Brigantia, who was possibly around during pre-Celtic times and was named for the goddess of the land of Britain. I mean, it's Braintree. I expected quite a bit more. <laughs> so between me, you, and everyone listening, I say we stick with my Braintree King of the Forest thing. And let's just see yeah, if it definitely. works. Let's see if it sticks. Start a whole <laughs> new revolution about it. So that's all I have this week. It was really scraping the barrel for this one. Thank you. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> all right. So we mentioned that the um, story this week is about Dr. Amy Bishop, and we said that she grew up in Braintree, Massachusetts with her brother, and his name was Seth, and he was three years younger than her. The Bishop children were raised in a beautiful Victorian home with a large covered porch. Amy's mother, Judy, came from an old New England family and was described as having beautiful curly blonde hair and an infectious smile. Judy was well-connected and well-liked in the community, and she also had quite a few male admirers, which was really a contrast to her husband, Sam, who was a lot quieter than his outgoing wife. Both hardworking and intelligent, Sam came from a family of Greek immigrants, and he worked hard and graduated from the University of Iowa in fine arts, where he painted during the day and worked as a janitor at night. Once Sam moved back to Massachusetts, he got a job teaching in the art department of Northeastern University. While Sam was off teaching, Judy got involved in the civic life of the town, befriending and hanging out with all the right people. Judy knew everyone, and as one neighbor put it, Judy was like the town spokesperson. If you had a question, Judy is who you would call. Although Judy was extroverted, the family as a whole seemed to be pretty closed off to other people. As a child, Sam and Judy's daughter, Amy, was not only a talented violinist, but was also brilliant as well, and her IQ measured in the gifted range. She also liked having her things in a particular way. Specifically, she would line up her little toys as if they were all in a parade. When Amy was young, she suffered from severe allergies, and that meant that she spent a huge chunk of her childhood surrounded by doctors and nurses in the ER, as well as doctor's offices. 
Amy desperately wanted to find a cure for all of her ailments, and in part because of her own medical issues, she became fascinated with science and becoming a scientist herself in order to find a cure. Her brother Seth, on the other hand, was a healthy young boy. Whereas Amy found it difficult to make friends, friendships came pretty easily to Seth. Growing up, Amy could be described as a bit of a social outcast, and it is believed that she resented her brother for his easygoing ways. A big turning point in Amy's life came on the evening in 1985 when the bishops returned home to find thieves had ransacked their home. The thieves stuffed the children's pillowcases with Judy's wedding ring, a pair of silver cups that were commemorating the birth of Amy and Seth, as well as other valuable items. Judy was so upset about this um, robbery that she wrote to the local newspaper pleading for the return of these items. So these were like sentimental items that you can't just go out and buy a new one of. Right. Sam, on the other hand, handled this ordeal in a different way. He went out and purchased a 12-gauge shotgun, much to the dismay of his wife and daughter. The weapon was kept in Sam and Judy's room, unloaded, and served as protection should somebody ever break into the house again. Fast forward six months later, the 12-gauge shotgun that was purchased for protection tragically ended up being a murder weapon used to kill Seth. According to Judy, Seth had just returned home from the grocery store and was in the kitchen when Amy came downstairs holding the shotgun. Amy claimed that she had loaded the gun but didn't know how to unload the gun and was actually coming downstairs to ask for Seth's help. Just moments earlier, Amy had actually shot the gun upstairs and broke the mirror in her room and put a hole in the wall, which she covered up with a simple post-it note. Amy was 21 years old at this time. Downstairs, when Amy swung the weapon around to show Seth, the gun actually fired, shooting Seth point blank. Amy immediately left her home in Braintree on foot, carrying the weapon with her. So you have this young lady walking through the streets with a shotgun. It's got to be quite a sight to see. Yeah. Judy, who claimed to see the entire incident, immediately got on the phone. But her first call was not to 911. It was actually to the police chief, who she was rumored to be having an affair with. While her brother Seth lay dying on the kitchen floor, Amy calmly walked to a local body shop and pounded on the door. As the employees opened the door, they were met with a loaded shotgun pointed at them. Amy, who didn't appear at all excited or stressed, told the workers to put their hands up and to provide her with a car. Amy claimed that she had recently gotten into a fight with her husband and needed this car to get away. Interestingly enough, and completely separate of Amy's problems, the two workers she held at gunpoint had actually recently robbed an ATM and were stashing $25,000 inside this shop. Oh my gosh. Yeah. like, Like, what are the odds? I know, exactly. So they quickly shut this door behind Amy and she's out of there. However, the body shop wasn't actually Amy's first stop. Moments earlier, she had tried to carjack quite a few people unsuccessfully, which is kind of remarkable considering she's holding a shotgun and walking around telling people to give them her car and they're not giving it to her. Yeah. So onlookers that day said that Amy looked really dazed and confused. The Braintree police started to receive these calls about this deranged woman roaming around the streets with this shotgun. And it's at this point that her mom, Judy, actually places a call to 911. The police officers didn't know at this time that the case of this wandering woman and the shooting of Seth were actually related. As police caught up with Amy, they ordered her to drop the loaded weapon, which was now pointed at the officers. 
She refused. So the officers didn't shoot her, but instead another officer came up behind her and grabbed the shotgun. I'm assuming this has to be because they see she's kind of out of it. Like from everything I was reading, it looked like she wasn't excitable. She wasn't, she didn't seem stressed. She didn't seem anything. It was just like she was there, but not really there. So I guess it was easy enough for them to come around her, but that seems terrifying in itself. So the gun was indeed loaded and Amy had a shell in her pocket. And we're going to get back into so much more of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I'm a woman of many things, and most of these things are fueled by caffeine and watching a lot of reality TV. But being motivated to stay healthy is near the bottom of the list for me, because if being healthy is not really simple to follow and work with, I'm not going to do it. And that's why Noom is so great for me. I'm really striving to feel better and to take better care of myself, which, especially as a mom, is not something I am admittedly great at doing. Thanks to Noom, I have everything I need all in one place, from calorie trackers to meal plans, plus a goal specialist and Noom community, all there right on my phone, which is always in my hand because this, of course, is 2019. So much of being healthy is built on habits, both good and bad, and Noom is a habit-changing solution, and they help their users learn to create a new relationship with food through its personalized courses. Plus, Noom is based in psychology, so Noom actually teaches you why you do the things you do and then arms you with the tools you need to break years of bad habits and then the knowledge of how to replace them with better ones. And Noom knows if they give you an hour of work to do in a day, you're not going to do it. You just don't have the time. So Noom asks you to commit just 10 minutes a day just for you. You'll never get started if you don't take the first step. Take small steps to make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash moms to start your trial today. That's Noom.com slash moms, the last weight loss program you'll need. We are still wildly in love with our third love bras, and if you own a bra, you know that having a bra you actually love is a thing of beauty. Buying a bra off the rack, though, is a lot like using a claw machine. You spend a lot of money, grab a bunch of things, but end up walking away with the equivalent of a one-eyed teddy bear. But buying a third love bra is the opposite. It's like finding a diamond ring in the claw machine and it fits your finger because this is basically your bra-fitting Cinderella moment since third love actually designs their bras to fit you, not the other way around. And third love makes finding your perfect bra easy. First, you take their Fit Finder quiz, which 15 million women have taken to date, and you'll find your perfect fit in just about 60 seconds. I took the quiz, which was super easy and fun, and they take everything into account when finding your perfect bra, even your breast shape. Third Love then tells you your bra size as well as several bras that they would recommend based on your size and your breast shape. And what I really love is that you don't have to worry even after taking the quiz about it not fitting you. Every customer has 60 days to wear their bra, wash it, and put it to the test themselves. And if you still don't love it, you can return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off today. And now back to the episode. Before we took the break, we were talking about how Amy Bishop had just been apprehended by the police after shooting her brother in their family home. And of course, she's saying that this was an accidental shooting. 
Back at the Bishop residence, the ambulance had arrived to find a strangely calm Judy. So unlike most mothers that were in this situation, instead of actually sitting with her dying son in the kitchen, Judy spent his last moments voluntarily speaking to the police officers. The paramedics who were working to save Seth's life found this choice to be pretty odd as, you know, she wasn't being questioned or forced to speak to the police, but she was just freely talking to them instead of trying to go and be with her son. And Judy would later say that she knew her son couldn't be saved and therefore didn't feel the need to plead with the paramedics to try to do anything. So that all sounds like, you know, you can look at the she wasn't really there and people just react different ways in different situations. But to hear that she actually said that is really bizarre. You know, it's one thing to do it, but then to be like, well, I knew they weren't going to save him. So what was the point of being there? That's that's a little more concerning. I mean, yeah, but I feel like whether whether you think that your child can be saved or not, like you would still want to be there with them in their final moments. It just does seem really weird that yeah. you but you people know, that you do would say that. people react in weird way. You know, like that might not be you might think I'm a very big rule follower, so not saying that I would do that, but I can see where my brain would be like, Oh, I have to help, I have to help, I have to help. Even with that going on, even though that doesn't make sense, I can see how somebody would yeah. be like going through the motions. But then to say afterwards, like, oh, no, I figured they couldn't save him. So it didn't. That's where it gets weird to me to like verbalize yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. So later that day, Seth was pronounced dead and he was sadly just 18 years old at the time. Back at the Braintree Police Department, Amy told the police that she had the gun loaded in the house that day because she was afraid of robbers coming in once more to their home and she wanted to be ready. She claimed that the shooting of her brother, Seth, had been an accident. On orders of the police chief, the same police chief who Judy had placed a call to, Amy was actually released from police custody. She was neither fingerprinted nor photographed. The case was tossed before the detectives were given the chance to really even interrogate her, claiming that she was, quote, too emotional to be questioned. As the bishops were at the police station, some neighbors came and scrubbed Seth's blood off of their kitchen floor. Eleven days later, Amy returned to the police station. The police concluded at this point that the shooting was an accident and the gun went off while Amy was trying to have Seth help her discharge the weapon. Back at home, life went on as usual. Amy continued to attend Northeastern and to eat in the same kitchen where her brother was tragically killed. According to Amy, her father did not believe in counseling, and Amy received no therapy or a psychiatric evaluation after this incident. Despite her brother's death, back at Northeastern, Amy really excelled. She joined a Dungeons & Dragons club where she met a fellow biology major named Jim Anderson. The two shared many interests and seemed to really balance each other out. Jim was a calming presence to Amy's more intense personality. The two would soon marry, although Jim's father never felt like he really knew Amy, even after several years of marriage. In one interview, his father is quoted as saying that she was a strange duck. The new couple settled in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where Amy got accepted into the graduate program at Harvard. While Amy excelled at Northeastern, Harvard was a totally different ballgame. She was used to being at the top of her class, but Amy struggled her way through Harvard. Eventually, she graduated in 1993 after revising her thesis. By this time, Amy and Jim have two kids of their own. 
Amy was described by those that knew her as being a very high-strung mom. While Amy was working, Jim stayed home to raise the children and would find work sporadically at various labs. Amy claimed that Jim was, quote, just too smart to work. And so Amy became the main breadwinner in the family. She started working as a researcher at Boston Children's Hospital under Dr. Paul Rosenberg, who was a Harvard Medical School professor and physician. Dr. Rosenberg did not feel that Amy could reach the standards needed at work, and he felt that she also exhibited violent behavior. This upset Amy greatly, and she was very concerned about receiving a negative evaluation from him. Amy resigned from her position before this could happen, and colleagues remember her appearing like she was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Just weeks after her resignation, Dr. Rosenberg received a suspicious package. This was during the time of the Unabomber, so Dr. Rosenberg, as well as others throughout the U.S., were really on high alert from, you know, packages that they weren't expecting just arriving. He carefully opened the package, which blew up, and he barely missed what could have been a deadly injury. Investigators looking into who would have sent Dr. Rosenberg this package soon narrowed down on Jim and Amy, who were really refusing to even cooperate with them at all. Prior to the pipe bomb, Jim had once told a witness that he wanted to shoot, stab, or strangle Dr. Rosenberg. Wow. Yeah, but due to a lack of evidence, the case of the mysterious bomb was closed. To this day, Dr. Rosenberg believes that Amy and Jim had something to do with the mysterious package. Over the next nine years, the bishops struggled to pay their bills, and Amy began to work lower-paying research jobs, and her lack of financial and professional success really started to affect her deeply and personally. Her academic skills would win awards, but her interpersonal skills left much to be desired. By 2003, the couple had four children, three girls and a little boy who they named Seth after Amy's brother. But more kids did not make for a more tranquil Amy. There was actually one incident when the family went out to breakfast at IHOP and Amy requested a boost receipt for her son, Seth. The restaurant was crowded that morning and the waitress informed Amy that the last booster seat had just been given to another party. And Amy got really, really upset to the point that she began to scream at this other mother who had her child in the booster seat. She yelled, quote, don't you know who I am? I am Dr. Amy Bishop. So the waitress asked Amy to leave, but she refused to leave. And instead, she escalated the situation even further and punched this strange woman, this mother with her child in the face in the middle of this restaurant. These are like, this is like my big fear. It's like why I won't honk at people in traffic, even if they aren't going, because I'm just deathly afraid that someone is going to be unhinged and like the yes. slightest thing will make them go off. Like you could sit in front of me in traffic for 14 hours. I will never honk at you. I will just sit there with a smile on my face. <laughs> I'm terrified. All these kind of things. I'm very, very polite. And I don't think it has a lot to do with like wanting to be a polite person, but just being afraid of people killing me. That's about it. Yeah, I know. I'm the same way. But you know, I'm paranoid about every situation. So yeah, I don't. But that lady at the booster seat, she didn't even know. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Like, it's just bizarre that that would cause such a, such a fight in right. the restaurant. So Amy was actually arrested, but the charges were later dropped that were against her. 
She wasn't having much success with her career, so when she got an offer to teach at the University of Alabama, she didn't hesitate to say yes. Amy had really made quite a terrible reputation for herself in Massachusetts, but she hoped that moving to a new place, you know, moving to Alabama, meant that she would have a true fresh start. The family also desperately needed a steady paycheck, and Amy was hopeful that she would finally, you know, this would be her time to shine. The neighbors, you know, in their neighborhood in Massachusetts specifically remember the day that the Bishop family left. They said that the Bishop kids weren't bad, but Amy was very disliked and said that she yelled at the children in the neighborhood that were playing and rarely, if ever, kept her opinions to herself. So the day that the U-Haul pulled away and the family was moving, all of the neighbors came out of their houses and started cheering. And one family suggested that they all get together and have like a, a neighborhood pizza party. And so that's what they did. They were so excited that Amy was leaving their neighborhood that they actually, the neighbors threw a party. This just reminds me of your favorite movie, The Wizard of Oz and the Wicked Witch is Dead. And all the munchkins come out and sing and dance and there's a whole glorious party. Like that's basically what it was for them. That's Imagine having that kind of impact in your neighborhood that when you leave, people cheer for yeah. you to drive down the road. People come out in the streets and cheer. <laughs> yeah. But I, mean, I feel so terrible for her poor kids because, you know, they're in the car and neighbors are cheering and throwing pizza at each other. And, you know, that's, <laughs> it's, that's so crazy. I just I've never heard of that, of somebody leaving in a neighborhood throwing a block party. That's yeah, that's a lot. So we have more details of this story that we're going to get into after one final break for a word from this week's sponsors. If you've been listening to this show, you've heard us talk about FrameBridge. They make it easy and affordable to frame your favorite things, from art prints and posters to all your best photos. With the holidays fast approaching, FrameBridge is also the perfect way to give ridiculously easy and thoughtful gifts. In just minutes, you can turn a photo from your phone into one of your best gifts ever. Here's how. Go to FrameBridge.com and upload your photo. Preview your item online in a variety of frame styles or select one of their best-selling designs. The expert team at the FrameBridge factory will custom frame your item and deliver the finished piece straight to you or anyone on your list. A handmade, personalized gift from FrameBridge starts at $39, and all shipping is free. Plus, our listeners will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when they use our code MOMS. Both Mandy and I recently had family photos taken, and I've already sent a few to FrameBridge to have them framed for gifts for my mom and mother-in-law for Christmas. It's super simple to do, and I ordered them knowing that they will be the best quality for the best price, which makes them the perfect grandparent gift for Christmas. Become a gift-giving legend by using FrameBridge to give high-quality, one-of-a-kind gifts that you can order in minutes. Go to FrameBridge.com and use promo code MOMS. You'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to FrameBridge.com and use promo code MOMS. FrameBridge.com, promo code MOMS. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. 
You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we mentioned that Amy and her family had moved out of the neighborhood so that they could move to Alabama for a job opportunity for Amy. And that, of course, her neighbors cheered and loved that, threw a whole pizza party, just craziness as soon as she left the neighborhood. So while the neighbors were really glad to see Amy leave, the University of Alabama was super excited to add a scientist with a Harvard PhD to their list of teachers that they really didn't even bother to scrutinize Amy's resume. In hindsight, though, they probably should have. A quick check after the fact showed that much of her resume was fudged and her references were left unchecked. At the University of Alabama, Amy went for a 10-year track position, which meant really lifetime job security. Part of a 10-year requirement is being published, which is something Amy really did not focus on. She did publish an annual article from 2004 to 2006, but then she went unpublished for three years. Her lack of publications was likely used against her during her future tenure battle with the university. But in her early years, Amy really thrived at the university. She was well-liked, she was friendly, and she was enthusiastic. She was successful in her research, and she even teamed up with her husband, Jim, to design an electric Petri dish to help keep cells alive longer. It was a huge success and earned the university not only bragging rights, but over $1 million in research funding. As the years passed, Amy became less engaged in the needs of her students and more focused on receiving this tenure. Students started complaining that she didn't make eye contact during class and that she would just read verbatim from the textbook. Many students actually requested to be transferred out of her classes. In 2008, just five years after arriving in Alabama, students met with the department chair about Dr. Bishop's odd ways and her ineffective teaching. They even went as far as putting together a petition with dozens of signatures asking that she no longer be at the university. It appeared that Amy was so wrapped up in getting tenure that she completely stopped caring about the steps that were necessary to even accomplish to get there. In 2009, Amy was denied tenure, which meant that her contract would end the following year. Not only would she not be locked into a teaching position for life, but she would also be jobless. Amy became enraged and turned to students and professors for support. She is said to have yelled at her colleagues when they received tenure, and she did not. And in 2010, she appealed the decision, but she was once again denied. On February 12th, 2010, Amy was late to her 10.50 a.m. class, which was unusual for her. Amy didn't usually carry a bag, but on that morning, she carried a canvas bag packed with a 9mm gun. Students remember that day during her class that she appeared to be somewhat distracted. 
That afternoon, the biology department would gather to discuss the upcoming semester. This wouldn't really have been a meeting that Amy necessarily needed to attend since she would not be working at the school during the semester that they were preparing for. Yet Amy showed up and sat right next to the department chair, blocking the only door. That day, one of Amy's colleagues noticed that Amy had this strange behavior. Normally, Amy was a commanding presence, happily giving her opinion on different topics. But that Friday afternoon, Amy was quiet and even appeared to be depressed. As the meeting came to an end, without warning, Amy pulled out her weapon. In seconds, Amy rattled off half a dozen shots, critically wounding six people. Amy put the gun up to her friend and fellow teacher Deborah Moriarty's head. Deborah actually yelled out, Amy, think about my grandson. Think about my daughter. And Amy didn't. She pulled the trigger, but the gun did not fire. Deborah actually jumped off the ground and led the rush to push Amy out of the room and into the hallway. The remaining survivors in the room then barricaded the conference room door. This act of courage by Deborah saved many lives. At this point, students hear this shooting, but they have no idea that the shooter was one of their very own professors. As Amy ran away from the conference room, she ran into a student and asked to borrow a cell phone. She used the cell phone to call her husband, Jim, to ask him to come pick her up behind the back of the building. While police are on campus searching for the shooter, Amy actually hides out on the second floor bathroom where she tosses her gun and jacket into the trash can. Back in the conference room, there's blood everywhere. Three professors have been murdered and three others were in critical condition. As Jim pulled up to the parking lot, he witnessed his wife being taken away in handcuffs. And he had no idea what was going on. Police officers put Amy in the back of the squad car. And Amy is heard saying, quote, it didn't happen. There is no way they are still alive, end quote. And if you look at these pictures of her during her arrest, Amy appears completely dazed and confused. And we don't know if, you know, her denial at this time is real or if perhaps she was using it later to try and plead insanity in this case. But and if you think back to the um, shooting of her brother, that's kind of what everyone said. She's dazed and confused. She doesn't appear to know what's going on. She's, you know, not acting in a way you would think somebody would react after this horrific thing has happened. She's just kind of there and kind of denying the whole thing, even though it's super obvious, you know, to what's gone on. Right. Police interviewed Amy's husband, Jim, but he denied having any knowledge at all of her plan to shoot her coworkers. Jim admitted that he had taken Amy to a shooting range prior to the shootings, and a neighbor revealed that he had seen the couple leaving their home that morning with duffel bags. While Amy was in jail, the police actually got a call from a police officer in Boston who told them that the woman they are holding in jail also shot and killed her brother in 1986. Four months after her killing spree at the University of Alabama, Amy was indicted on a charge of first-degree murder in the 1986 shooting of her younger brother. Justice would finally be served for Seth. Amy's attorneys would spend 18 months preparing an insanity defense for her. Initially, she asked for the death penalty because she couldn't stand the idea of spending her entire life in a tiny box. The morning of the trial, Amy was wearing this red jumpsuit, a bulletproof vest, and flip-flops, and she really sat in the court pretty emotionless. She pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. 
As you can imagine, someone as argumentative as Amy really has not had the easy life since she has been behind bars. It was reported that she has gotten into numerous fights and has even been sent to the medical ward. About five years after the mass shooting at the university, Amy apologized to the victims and their families for the very first time. She quickly followed up that apology by saying that she was reconsidering her guilty plea, blaming her allergies, schizophrenia, and steroids for her actions. As for Amy's family, her daughter was 18 at the time of the shooting and was a student at the University of Alabama herself. It is said that during the chaos that followed the mass shooting, she took her siblings to a neighbor's house. Unlike Amy's neighbors in Braintree, Amy's neighbors in Huntsville supported her children and the victims and their families by bringing meals, offering prayers, and in one case, paying for repairs on a car. Amy's father-in-law described the community as giving kind of one universal group hug. As of today, Amy Bishop is still sitting in Alabama's Julia Tutwiler Prison for Women, and she will not be getting out anytime soon. I, I actually don't think I was familiar with the story. It sound parts of it sound really familiar, right? We we talked about this the other day. Like I there's have definitely heard of this case. I don't remember where. That's a thing. I felt the same way. We were worried that we may have done this one before. I feel like I just specifically remember that it was a case where there was, you know, multiple people were killed, and then they found out that she had also. There was involved in a, you know, yeah. So I, I mean, I can't, I couldn't tell you exactly where I've heard of it. I know I've heard of this story before, but it's a really, really interesting and crazy story. Yeah. It's so sad though, because it, especially the second one, I mean, I mean, all of it's sad, of course, with her brother and everything. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if things could have been different there, of course, um, in the way it was handled. Uh, Obviously, if, if she was later charged with her brother's death that could have prevented all this other stuff from happening. But just that it was, you know, this workplace violence from not getting tenure like she thought she wanted and all these other people that lost their lives for it. It's just crazy is the only word that comes to mind, but it doesn't even really do it justice. It's just so upsetting for the families that had nothing to do with it, you know, and they lost their loved ones because somebody was ticked off about about that. Yeah. Real quick, if you did not hear an episode last week, we did have one last week. There were some issues with our Apple feed. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts, Apple Watch, anything like that, you might not have seen it. You might have to go back and search for it. But if you're listening to this now and thought, wait, I thought you guys were back last week. We were. Don't know what happened there, but it should be in there now. So make sure you go back and listen to that one. It was a really good one. Yeah. So we are going to turn the page. I love that. Somebody in our Facebook group said that we should start saying that because we never know how to transition. So I love that. We're going to turn the page and go to last thing before we go. And this one is fun. I'm super excited about it. So Paula D, we haven't shouted her out in a while, but she's always there for us and possibly our only listener that listens to the show. So she wrote in another last thing before we go. She's the best. She's just the best. And if she's the only one that (laughs) listens, then that's okay too, because I just love her. So she had a suggestion that we kind of create, I'm paraphrasing her thing because I just remembered what it was. I don't have her exact thing, but she suggested that we create our own top five lists and we don't tell each other like what the category is. So we'll just say these five things and then we will just guess what the other person's category was that they were going for. So I think that would be kind of fun and interesting. So Melissa, 
I want you to go first. Oh, I kind of want you to go first. Oh, see, I wanted you to go first because I have two of them and I'm going to, mine is going to depend on what you do, which one I use. Do you want to go first? I actually have two as well. Look at us being all prepared. Look at that. (laughs) This now feels like a trap. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to go first then if if you want or vice versa. I don't care. Yeah, Um, you go first. Okay. So here is my first one. Okay, I'm going to do this one. Number five, George. Number four, Longhorn. Number three, John. Number two, Ladybird. Number one, Paul. What top five list am I making? Good grief. I don't know, but it's probably your top five reality star characters or something so ridiculous like that. I have no idea. What were they again? George, Longhorn, John, Ladybird, Paul. I have no clue. Okay. Well, this one's kind of tricky. Well, but my other one's terrible, but this one is a little tricky. It's the top five Beatles. George Harrison, a Longhorn Beetle, John Lennon, Ladybird Beetle, and Paul McCartney. Top five Beatles. What, what in the world, Melissa? <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited about that. Beatles and Beatles, the Beatles and Beatles, the insect. Yeah, that's just what I did there. Sorry. So go ahead. Let's see what you've got. Well, mine are... My, mine is much more wordy than yours. Okay. All right. So here we go. Leaving home and not remembering if you shut off the oven. Your gaslight coming on during a long road trip. Your phone battery in the red and you are nowhere near a charger. Sending a text message or screenshot to the wrong person. Oh, gosh. Or my biggest fear. when you are stalking someone on Facebook and you accidentally like their photo. Is this your top five biggest fears? Pretty close. Yeah. Most panic inducing situations. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is if the songs from Isn't This Ironic or Ironic from Alanis Morissette were like, you know, current day, the lyrics were current day, you know, adaptations, those would be it. it well, no, that wouldn't be it. It's still paranoid and whatever. I don't know how I got on that. She's going on tour and I think she's just in my brain now. So that's just where I am. I like those. though. Oh. Those are pretty good. I like that. Okay, so my next one is more, is longer. So, okay, are you ready? Number five, I work, so much work. Number four, bring my red bag with my makeup. Number three, you have to cut it on the bias. It's juicy that way. Number two, don't try to swindle me because I like cake. Number one, I'm attracted to Nicole, but just like, for example, 55%. What is my top five list? It's obviously quotes from something. Yes. <laughs> now just think garbage and see if you can get there. You said Nicole. That will not what help show, you one bit. <laughs> what show has a Nicole? <laughs> Is that not going to help me at all? It's not going to help you at all. Um, okay, so it has a number in the title. Um, 90 Day Fiance. Way to go. <laughs> Top five quotes from 90 Day Fiance. I love it. One, Yay. Of, my, one of my favorites is the lady saying he's trying to swindle me because I like cake. Like he tried to manipulate her and bring a cake to apologize. And she said, don't try to swindle me because I like cake. And I relate to that so much. You can get away with anything if you just hand me a cake. I totally will fall for it. Yeah. Well, my other list here is very, we'll see what, we'll see if you can guess. Okay. So fitness class, any family gathering, the mall food court, the shooting range, or a karaoke bar. Okay. I want you to say them again because I feel like that I I I think I can do this. I have to be honest. Okay. I really am feeling confident. <laughs> All right. Fitness class, any family gathering, the mall food court, 
the shooting range, or a karaoke bar? Oh, no. I don't know. I don't know. I want to say, I don't want to say what I want to say because I don't think it's good, but um, I'm going to say... It's going to be funny if you're right and you just don't want to say it and then I say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to text you right now my word and then if it's right, you can just, I then I can get credit for it. Okay, I have texted you my word. Um, I am going to say, well, I want to say places that you can embarrass yourself. Or when you said the fitness class, I thought of that time that we did Zumba together and how terrible of a moment in my life that was and how awkward of a dancer I am. But I don't, I don't know. Awkward moments. They can't be awkward moments. You did that last time. Okay, I don't know, Mandy. What is it? They're not awkward moments. They are the top five worst first dates. Oh my gosh. Yeah, those are terrible. <laughs> Say them again one more time. Uh, fitness class. Okay, terrible. Any family gathering. Mm-hmm. The mall food court. The shooting range. Obviously, you don't want to go there on a first date. And a oh. karaoke bar. You don't want to go to any of those places on a first date. Honestly, I did two of those. And so I don't really- For first dates? Yes, I went to um, someone's family's Christmas thing as like- Probably the first day day, yes. What was the other one? The mall food court? Yeah. That's like well, yeah, where dreams are made. Oh my gosh, Melissa. So if you're telling me if you're a grown woman and a man takes you to a mall food court that that is going to be your man, that's going to be your man for life? No, I had to go on a blind date. Not a blind date. My mom knew <laughs> this guy's mom and I didn't want to go and I thought it was a friendship thing, but it actually was a date. And so I wore the frumpiest clothes I could, like literally overalls and a sweatshirt back when overalls were not a cute thing to do. (laughs) And during the date, he tried to hold my hand whenever I went to get popcorn. And I looked at him and said, what are you doing? And so it did not go well, but it started at the mall food court. So I guess you're right. It is a worse place for a first date. Yeah. Well, and of course, these are meant to be silly and funny. And I'm sure there are people who maybe even who are listening to this who have had a first date at one of those places and went on to have a successful and happy relationship. I'm so happy for you if that's the case. This is just silly. And we would love um, to hear your story if 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 love blossomed (laughs) from one of these, especially a fitness class. I no, don't I don't want to hear though. I don't want to hear that story. I don't want to hear your story about meeting in a fitness class. That's just too only if it went me. bad and then <laughs> if it was awkward and then it ended up being love. But if it was like we were both bench pressing four hundred pounds, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we both were like, "Whoa, cool muscles!" And we fell in love. Yeah, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear somebody <laughs> dropped a weight and farted, and then you fell in love. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> All right. So I think that was good. Yeah. Well, I don't think we should judge whether or not that went well at all. (laughs) No, I had a second. I had a second question, too, for lesson before we go. But I think that went on long enough. And I will save that other good one for next episode because I really did have a second good one. So there you go. Now you're forced to come back next week and see what I was so excited about. I hope you remember it. I I can't wait till next week and we're panicking to find one and neither of us (laughs) remember that this is ever a conversation. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So before we go, we are going to play a promo from our friends with the Resolved podcast. It's Liza, Allison, and Carlin, and it's all about Unsolved Mysteries and Robert Stack. And they do such a good job of organizing their episodes and they're super funny and great. And so make sure you guys check that out at the end of the episode. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Hi, we're Eliza, Allison, and Carlin, and we're the hosts of Resolve Mysteries podcast. 
Our podcast follows the 80s and 90s television show Unsolved Mysteries, hosted by Robert Stack. We have a love for true crime and the unsolved. If you don't remember Unsolved Mysteries, we forgive you, but you don't have to know to get into our show. If you like true crime stuff, ghost stuff, alien stuff, or just stories about weird sh- like Bigfoot, this is your podcast. The stories we cover range from totally ridiculous to truly heartbreaking. We do detailed research on all of the segments that Unsolved Mysteries aired, then drink some wine and give you the latest updates on every case. We talk about stories that will leave you laughing, crying, and occasionally outraged. Resolve Mysteries podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite pods. Join us and perhaps you may be able to help solve a mystery. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms of Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.